Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and this Sunday's podcast is about the 14 and 12 Detroit Pistons, who just finished up an uninspiring effort against the Boston Celtics. Ben Gulker and I talk about Stanley Johnson's struggles and Stan Van Gundy tinkering with the rotation. Then, we look ahead to the Pistons' schedule in December. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Please leave comments on iTunes. It's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what the fans want. And, of course, you should follow DetroitBadBoys.com, the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hey everyone, welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I am uh, glad to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you? Hey, life is good even when the Pistons are bad. <laughs> right now, the Pistons are kind of bad, I think you could Real say. bad. So, uh, yeah, tough, tough loss at home to Boston. They were never really in it. Uh, tough loss to the Warriors. They were in it. Um, but really, not not a very good week, week and a half for the Pistons. The best thing about this last week and a half for the Pistons is that it's over, yeah, <laughs> right? <absolutely. laughs> so we're uh, we're speaking in the wake of the Pistons' ninety-one uh, eighty-one loss to the Boston Celtics. Um, the they started the third quarter zero for nine, and that was kind of it. Uh, the starters never really got in a rhythm. Andre Drummond didn't score a point until late in the fourth quarter. Reggie Jackson did, only scored two points. Uh, those were from the free throw line, and he, he did not play at all in the fourth quarter. Stan Van Gundy pulled out every trick in the book to try and get things going. We saw Moreland. We saw Boban. We saw Langston Galloway when he had been kind of in and out of the rotation. We saw Reggie Bullock when uh, we didn't even know Reggie Bullock was still on the team. Uh, (laughs) But I think the first place to go is something that you and I both noted on Twitter during the game was that during that 0-9 stretch in the third quarter, the Pistons really went away from the motion offense that's been the backbone of their offensive success this year. So, Ben, do you have any idea why they would do that? I, I can't help but think it's not intentional. I mean, it, to me, it doesn't look like scheme because it, to me, it doesn't seem to matter which point guard is on the floor. When they get down, they, they sort of default to this stand around and let Ish or Reggie try to make a play. And it happened. It was especially obvious to me when I, I was fortunate enough to go to the game Friday. It was my first time at LCA. And side note, if you haven't gone, it, it's a great arena. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, but it was especially obvious in person uh, when you, you know, you're not kind of thinking about what the commentators are talking about. You're just totally focused on what's happening on the floor. And, and when the, the Warriors were pulling away, it was just stand around, dribble, dribble, dribble. It was like uh, it reminded me of my pickup days at the Y where it's like, you know, pump fake three dribbles pass, pump fake three dribbles pass just over and over and over again. So I have to think that's not by design. I have to think the team is just sort of defaulting into a bad habit at that point. I have. A, I think it's there. When when things get tough, 
they resort back to the default offense of the pick and roll that we saw two years ago, right? And so I have to think that they they keep trying to double down on the thing that they know is their uh, tried and true bucket getting method. But at the same time, you can't, if you double down like eight times and lose, like you have no more money, like you're out. <laughs> and so uh, I have to think that that's something that can't continue in the future. You you have to you have to continue to run your offense like an actual offense, um, even when times are are not going well. I mean, and one guy who times are really not going well for is, is Stanley Johnson. Um, he had he had an zero for ten game this week. Today he's actually two for five and and made a corner three but only played 15 minutes and had a negligible impact on the game. Um, you and I talked a little bit about how I said on Twitter, if, uh, if Stanley Johnson was a uh, Michael Kidd Gilchrist 2.0, uh, would, would Pistons fans be okay with that? And you answered, uh, if, if, he, if he could ever even be Michael Kidd Gilchrist, like 0.5, like he's <laughs> not even that good of a shooter yet. And so, uh, he shot 44, 37, 74 in college, but like now he's shooting 35, 28, 71. He's just regressed. Like, so at one point, do we take him out of the starting lineup? Because he's, he's starting to get the Keith Bogans treatment too, which is not good for his development either. Yeah. I mean, it, it was kind of a rush job to put him into the starting lineup and it, it was kind of by default, right? I mean, Morris gets traded and really all you've got left is Stanley. The the thing is, who do you play instead, right? I mean, is there, do you go big? Do you try to slide Tobias over and then start Tolliver, I guess? But then if so, you're sort of stuck with a, a backup four problem. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it can't be good for his confidence, though. The flip side is it just can't be good for his confidence to struggle, 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 and then see your minutes in the second half all but disappear, right? I mean, that that's got to be difficult for a young man and a young player. Exactly. My, the thing I keep coming back to is when he did come off the bench in the Milwaukee game, he looked engaged offensively. He looked uh, aggressive, more aggressive playing with bench units. And so in that Milwaukee game, Stan only played nine guys. That's his, that's his, uh, as a coach, that's his default uh, rotation. And so maybe if you started Tolliver, but, um, used Tolliver as a method to just kind of get Stanley Johnson off the bench in a rhythm. Maybe something like that would work better. But at the same time, like it's, you have to try something at this point. I'm not uh, a fan of Reggie Bullock in the starting lineup. I know some people are clamoring for that. Uh, I'm not a fan of something uh, super crazy like uh, Henry Ellenson in the starting lineup or anything like that, or even even Luke Kennard in the starting lineup, I think is a little bit too much. That's a it's a bit too small uh, on the perimeter, I think, for Stan. But at the same time, like you have to try something, and so I wouldn't be surprised if uh, we see Stanley Johnson kind of drop not drop out of the rotation, but definitely drop out of the starting lineup in the uh, in the coming games. Yeah, I mean, they, he he just can't make a shot. It's it's unfortunate because. I'm a fan of the way he plays. I'm a fan of his attitude. I'm a fan of the way he approaches, especially the defensive side of the court. Um, he, he works hard, especially on that. And he understands, I think, that his path to NBA relevance starts over there. If he can be a, a better than average defender, he can potentially carve out a pretty nice career. But 
I mean, he can't throw the ball in the ocean right now. So um, he's, he's just not going to get a, a consistent. I mean, he gets consistent minutes right now, but the long term in the NBA, he's, he's got to be able to make some shots. And he, he's just struggling. And the thing is, he's getting decent looks, too. And that, I think, is what's even more disheartening. Yeah, and his usage rate is so low, right? It's not like he's hijacking the offense to shoot all these terrible shots. It's that in the flow of the motion offense of what the Pistons are trying to do, it's like he needs to be able to make shots when he's open, and the offense can create open shots for him, and he still can't even make those shots. And that's just that's just really unfortunate from uh, from a talent perspective, from a guy who is presumably as talented as he is, that he can't uh, do the things that he's being asked to do. Oof, man, I feel like we're, I feel like, uh, we've been just on a, a downward, uh, spiral since the first Boston game on November 27th. And it's just one night, the starters don't have it. One night, the bench doesn't have it. One night, they can't score. One night, they can't defend. You know, it's, I wish there was something so simple. I wish it was the same thing every night with this team. Um, and it's, it just hasn't been the case. And at least Stanley's offensive troubles is one thing that you can point to every night. But at the same time, he's not, it's not the sole source of the Pistons troubles. Yeah. And when he's only playing 15 minutes, like he did tonight, you know, there's bigger fish to fry, right? I mean, you look at, especially through three quarters, the point guard play was just abysmal. I mean, Ish did a few nice things, especially towards the end of the fourth quarter, uh, against Golden State, too, I mean, Reggie was so good in the first half, and he he literally just disappeared. I think he scored two points at halftime. Um, so I think you're right. It's not like a, there's nothing you can just diagnose and point to and say, oh, yeah, if they just change this one thing, right? Like if they made this one small tweak, the offense starts to make sense again. It's, it's kind of been all over the place. I think, you know, for me, I, I'm still trying to remain a little bit optimistic because I think what you saw during the first maybe 18 games, maybe the first 20 games is just crazy shooting, right? I mean, Langston Galloway at one point, as an easy example, was like 70 something percent true shooting percentage or something absurd, right? And I think the shooting had to drop off. There was just no way everybody was going to be shooting at that level sustainably for the course of 82 games. But the pendulum has really swung the other way, right? I mean, Tobias, who was basically looked like he was just going to be unstoppable off season has hit a bit of a rough stretch. Um, Avery Bradley's been in a bit of a slump. I thought maybe he got out of it against golden state, but he struggled again today. Um, my point being, I think they're going to start hitting some of these shots again. It's just got to happen sooner rather than later because I mean, they're 14 and 12 big picture, right? They're still a playoff team. They're still a winning team. Um, but they've got to start making some shots and, Right now, everybody's missing shots. Reggie, 0 for 9. Bradley, 5 for 16. Tobias, 5 for 15. I mean, everybody's missing shots all at the same time. And it's basically a mirror image of what we had at the beginning of the season, which it's a hard way to regress back to the mean, right? I mean, you're fantastic shooting the ball and then terrible shooting the ball. You'd like to find something, you know, a little bit closer to uh, a middle ground, I think. Definitely. And the level of competition has something to do with it. And they have been losing plenty of games relatively close. And so maybe if the Milwaukee game goes a different way or the San Antonio game, that uh, that foul doesn't get called on Tobias, we're, we're feeling a little bit more positive about the overall direction of the team. But at the same time, the struggles are still readily apparent, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent point. And and even the Warriors game, there was that terrible call on Tolliver um, when essentially he stepped on Durant's foot after Durant had shot a three-pointer and they, they called the foul on Tolliver. And I think there's a couple no calls on Reggie that, you know, could have changed the course of the game a little bit in a, in a four-point game. Um, the upside to the last four games, they played Philly tough. They played San Antonio tough. They played Milwaukee tough. And they played Golden State tough. And those are all four teams who, as of right now, are playoff teams. So there's, there is some reason to be at least a little bit optimistic that even when the offense really isn't working like it's supposed to, they're still hanging. But I, I do agree with you. I think this last like week and a half has really exposed some of the, some of the shortcomings of the roster. And, and it's like all at once. I mean, it's just everything that could go wrong with the offense is kind of happening at the same time. And it, it, it looks ugly. I mean, it just looks ugly. It's tough to watch. Yeah, and you see, and you've seen Stan Van Gundy tinker with the rotation to try and find something that's working. Like we saw Boban come back. Um, we saw the bench play really heavy minutes in the second and fourth quarters against Golden State. Um, the bench is no longer a top five bench in the league in, in terms of net rating. I think it's uh, they're either ninth or tenth right now, and they played they played pretty well today against Boston, but at the same time. You know, I think they need to focus more on, again, just running the offense the way it's uh, the, the motion offense with the dribble handoffs and everything, the way it's supposed to be run and not necessarily worrying about where if the shots are falling or not and just continue to do what's worked for them in the past. Now, ultimately, they need to settle on a backup center. They need to figure out what to do with Langston Galloway, even if he's hot or even if he's cold and uh as much as I hate keep to keep bringing this up because it feels like it shouldn't matter this much, uh, they need John Luer to return and just kind of fill in some of the gaps of, of what they're missing. So I know I know Ben, you're a Boban guy. Um, he did play he played pretty well today. Um, do you think that we're going to see more Boban in the coming weeks, or do you think that's just Stan Van Gundy tinkering, or what? Do you, how do you see that playing out? Well, I, you know, I would like to see him use Bulbon more strategically against matchups. I felt like I was shocked to see him play against Golden State, especially yeah, because that was, that was weird. Golden State was starting. They didn't, I mean, Jazar was out. Um, you could see some of his weaknesses, I think, on defense. Um, you know, David West got probably two or three open jumpers in the third quarter. I think he made. I think he made two or two or two for three or two for four when it was definitely Bulban not being able to close out quickly enough. But you also some of the saw some of the strengths, especially in the second half. He didn't play particularly well in the first half, but he was tough to deal with inside, and he just gets in the way. And I think it, that actually works for Ish because Ish is small enough that he can kind of use Bulban as a moving screen and get lost in the paint. Um, but you know, it, it's really you have to pick between Moreland and Bulban. To me. Like I would use Bulban when you're going up against a guy who's a more traditional center, like an Aaron Baines, because I think you don't have to worry so much about his defense uh, instead of a team like Golden State that's pick and roll heavy. I mean, a Durant, David West crossover or uh, pick and roll is just a nightmare for a guy like Bulban, right? I mean, that's a terrible, terrible situation for him. But you know, at the same time, it's not like Bulban is so dominant that you know he's going to turn their bench around single-handedly he's just a difficult matchup for a lot of people and in his 15 or 20 minutes a game if he's playing really well you know he can make your bench in that positive 
I'd like to see him get more minutes. Moreland, by contrast, like you look at his offense stat line, he didn't even take a shot today, but he did some good things on the the glass and on defense. So it's literally, you know, which, which do you want to have? Do you want to have a guy who is a solid team defender who's going to work hard within the system, get a couple boards and maybe a steal and a block? Or do you want a guy who is probably a bit of a liability on defense in most circumstances, but can give you six, eight, 10 points if the matchups are favorable. And, you know, neither guy is good at the thing that the other guy is good at. If you could combine the two, you'd have a fantastic center. Um, with the way the offense is struggling, I feel like you might as well give Boban a shot because why not? <laughs> but, um, you know, part of the reason that the bench has been good, I think, is because Eric Moreland has been better, especially on defense, than than I certainly would have expected. So, I mean, I'd give Boban minutes because I, I think his offense can be valuable, but I would be more strategic with matchups because I, I don't think Stan has necessarily put him in, in the situations that I would have expected. One thing that I've noticed about Boban that has become more apparent as he's been getting more minutes lately is that his the way to utilize him best in a bench lineup is to post him up and to let him draw fouls and to let him dominate his interior matchup. But that, again takes the Pistons out of the motion offense, right? He can do those things. He can run those dribble handoffs, but it's not where he's most effective. And I think Moreland, because he's such a low usage offensive player, because he's at times, it looks like he's afraid to shoot, um, but he's willing to, you know, pass the ball out of the elbows and, and run the the motion offense the way it's it's supposed to be run and so I think that helps the rest of the bench kind of click along smoothly a little bit more offensively but at the same time when guys aren't making shots like they are right now is there's no reason not to try Boban I think yeah and you did see that one um, backdoor caught from Tolliver and Boban had kind of a fancy behind the head pass there's certainly some things you could do especially on the weak side of the floor like you could get some motion going. Um, but I don't think they have that built in now. And I, I don't know how feasible it is to build it in, in the middle of a season. Um, because Bobine can pass. There's no question he can pass. I just think if you put him, and I think this is kind of what you're getting at. If you put him at the 15, 17 foot range, which is where Drummond has sort of been facilitating as the point forward, he's not a threat at all to shoot the ball. I mean, he's only a threat from, you know, five to seven feet. So you know, the defenders are just going to sag off him and that sort of defeats the purpose. So I think you'd have to find a way to get motion going that's independent of Boban with the basketball in the post, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and it's not only that he's not a threat to shoot from out there, because Andre isn't a threat to shoot from out there either, but he's not really a threat to drive from that area of the floor either. And so Andre is, surprising, surprisingly, and so that works a little bit better. All right, guys, that was... 17 or 18 minutes flat of just complaining about the Pistons. Now we're going to, we're going to get to the light at the end of the tunnel. Ben, I'm going to read you the rest of the games the Pistons play in the month of November. So we've got at Denver two days from now, we got, or no, we got Denver at home two days from now. We got at Atlanta on the 14th at Indiana on the 15th. That's a back to back. And they play home for Orlando on the 17th. And they play at Dallas on the 20th, the Knicks on the 22nd, at Indiana again on the 26th, day after Christmas, at Orlando on the 28th, and San Antonio on the 30th. So that is that is Indiana twice, uh, Denver once, and a bunch of games they should win. Yeah, I totally agree. I think 
that is the, you know, it's, it feels too early to say a make or break point of the season, but it kind of is because it's a six game losing streak, right? They've got to win. How many games is that? Eight or nine? I mean, they've got to win five or six of those, right? I mean, if they don't, it's nine. They're on the outside looking. Yeah, in it's, it's nine games, and there's no reason why they shouldn't win seven of those. You split the Indiana games, and you lose to San Antonio at home uh, because Kawhi will be back. And then, you know, they're what? That's seven. It's 21 and, 21 and 14? Yeah, then you're right, you're right back where you, you should be at this point in the season. Yeah, I totally agree, and it's doable. I think... You know, to me, this this hell week, as you guys talked about it as last week, was was right on. Um, what's going to be interesting is not just the wins and losses, but how the team chooses to play, especially offensively. It'll be interesting to see against Denver, a team that's kind of surprisingly good. What do they do offensively? Do they default to this dribble, dribble, dribble? Or do they move the ball and move players, uh, which is when they've been at their best? And... I think they have to figure out how to incorporate Reggie Jackson's strengths into the motion offense some way. Um, Cause I don't think you can abandon the pick and roll when you've got Reggie Jackson as a key cog in your offense. Um, so I'd like to find some happy medium where, where Reggie's still able to do what he does best without becoming, you know, too dominant with the ball and, and other people sort of get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. It'll be really good to jump on Denver. Denver's right now they're missing uh, Nikola Jokic. They're missing uh, Paul Millsap. Uh, they don't have anybody really on the wings playing. Wilson Chandler is playing through a back injury, I believe. Uh, right now, they're they're up four on Indiana, in case you want to know exactly when this was recorded. But uh, And they're in the midst of a really long Eastern Conference road trip. And so there's no reason why the Pistons shouldn't come out and just jump on top of Denver, just kind of cleanse the body and cleanse the soul of all this losing and, and get back to, to where they need to be. Yeah. And and you said 21 and 14 is certainly realistic. I would agree with you, but 20 and 15 would still feel really good too. I mean, it's still five games above 500. That's still a lot better than I think anyone would have thought. And it is, absolutely doable if this team is anything close to what they were during the first 20 games. It's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. All right, Ben, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, what's your, what's your Twitter handle again? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, BR Gulker, same as what my old DBB handle was talk Pistons and other things and, and love to hear from people who are interested in the Pistons and those other things as well. Oh yeah. Before we, before we go, what was your uh, favorite part of your first game at LCA? Oh man. Um, so I didn't get there in enough time to really enjoy it, but the concourse is really cool. I mean, it, I don't know how to describe it other than to say they've almost kind of made it feel like, what you would expect downtown to feel like, but inside of the arena, there's some, some cool shops, some cool bar and grills. Um, and uh, it feels really energized when you first come in the building. So that's really neat. Um, in terms of the experience, actually watching the game, uh, it feels a little steeper and a little more vertical than the palace, which means the higher level seats, which is where I wind up. Um, they're actually, it's actually a really good view. You can actually see, I mean, I was like four rows from the top and I felt like I could see the game much more clearly than I would have been able to see uh, at the palace in a similar seat. So I think they've done a good job for those fans who are there more for the experience 
because the concourse is great. There's great restaurants, great food. And then as someone who really cares about the basketball, but can't, you know, afford the courtside tickets, there's really not a bad seat in the arena because of the way they've designed it. So it's a great place to watch a basketball game if that's what you're there for. That's that's exactly the way I felt. My seats when I went were a little bit closer. I was in the uh, the lower bowl, but the experience was amazing. And they have the uh, the really big Gordy Howe statue, and it feels like a nice marriage of the Red Wings and the Pistons, which is which is which was unexpected but nice. And uh, of course, I went for the Charlotte game, the first game of the year, and they won that game. So the uh, basketball experience was amazing. <laughs> Yeah, and so I've went to the Golden State game the last two years in a row, and uh, the the one thing is D- Detroit fans have got to figure out how to supplant all of these uh, Steph Curry jerseys that seem to find their way into the the Palace and now the LCA. We got to get the fans on board. I think that'll come with the team continuing to win. Um, but consider this a plug for any of you guys who are you know, not local and haven't yet decided if you want to make the trip. It's totally worth it. It's it's a great arena and a really Really cool experience. So uh, definitely get out there if you can and, and catch a game. I 100% co-sign. Um, and I'm your I'm your host, Lazarus Jackson. You can find me on Twitter at LazChance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. Um, this is the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we'll see you guys next week.